Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the editor of Global Capital. And I'm John Hay, the Corporate Finance and Sustainability Editor. And I'm Mike Turner, Corporate Bond Reporter. This podcast will take you each week through some of the biggest and most interesting stories in the capital markets. And if you want to read more about what we're discussing today, please go to globalcapital.com. Now, this week, we're taking a look at what lies in store for Europe's corporate bond market. It might be a bit quieter now for the summer, but a rush of issuance is surely due in September. And that's not far away. However, the market is not necessarily in the rudest of health. So, Mike, can you explain a bit about what's been going on? So there's been it's been a very strange corporate bond market uh, this year because there's been two two competing uh, presses, one from just the amount of cash that's come into um, investors' pockets that they need to spend, and the other from corporate issuers that that don't need as much money as they usually do because they raised so much last year during the midst of the pandemic. Um, so it's caused some strange dynamics in the market. Um, in particular, in the sterling market, we've seen some some issues with um, borrowers just not finding the demand that they expected to find. Uh, we had a pulled deal um, last month from Northern Power Grid, and deals just sort of scraping through with minimal um, with minimal uh, subscriptions for their order books. And this, and this, of course, is at a time when there aren't that many deals in the market, right? So these borrowers kind of had the place to themselves and yet it still didn't go that well. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's indicative that investors are becoming more picky. There's been lumpy demand from investors all year. Um, and it's it's just got worse now that people are aware there's going to be this big September rush coming. Um, but then even the big September rush is in air quotes because it's not going to be anywhere near as busy as it usually is. But how can we say that the market is suffering from patchy demand while at the same time you're saying that there's a massive undersupply and and that's the basic dynamic going on well that's it that's the weird that's the weird dichotomy because there has if you look back at the issuance over the year um we were having sort of massive books come through uh the sort of of books where a one billion deal would be three times four times over uh, well three times three and a half times oversubscribed um and then Weeks later, so early June, start of July, you were seeing deals. Um, you were seeing deals that were getting sort of seven seven fifty million deals with a one point two billion subscription, for example, which is in no way a bad deal. But when weeks earlier you've had double, triple that level of subscription amount, it it sort of sticks out and and makes people a bit less um, confident in in coming to the market. And I think the 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 main driver behind this is in, investors feel that there is more to come. So September could be a bit of a crux for this. So, so which is the sort of right level of demand, if if that's the right way to put it? I guess the underpinning the market is, of course, the ECB's bond buying um, under its pandemic emergency purchase program. It holds something like 1.1 trillion euros worth of bonds at the end of June, about 3% of that is corporate bonds. Uh, that program can go up to 1.85 trillion. And I guess that, you know, that would explain the massive oversubscriptions that we all got used to. Um, but that program hasn't abated either. So 
are we expecting more of the smaller oversubscriptions? And and also, what what effect has had has the uh, has the PEP had on on yields? Because that must surely be a factor in investor demand too. So the the PEP has had a smaller impact on the corporate bond market. The thing that's really made the difference and has made the difference for years and will continue to is uh, CSPP, the Corporate Sector Purchase Program. Um, it, it buys something like five and a half billion euros a month of corporate debt. Um, compared to the the PEP, which has bought, uh, I think somewhere close to two billion a month, um, the the PEP is much more focused on public uh, public sector issuance, and uh, corporate sector hasn't really felt much impact from that. It's felt some, and it's nice to know it's there. But speaking to investors and speaking to syndicate banks, um, they're they're not overly focused on what the PEP is doing. When there was talk uh, a few months ago of the ECB potentially flagging the end of uh, the the PEP programme, people were, were sanguine about it. They they weren't particularly fast. It's the CSPP which has, um, you know, taken the market away from any concept of fundamentals and just turned it into this sort of ECB technical playground that people are having to try and second guess consistently. That must be great for borrowers, though, surely. It must have absolutely crushed their funding costs. Oh, it's incredible for borrowers. You take Ryanair, which is a airline in a pandemic and hasn't been able to use its operating model at all, um, seeing 90% of its customers vanish overnight and maintain you know, that level of um, despair as a company. And it got its lowest coupon ever on a five-year deal. Um, in its last last trade, so yeah, it's been incredible for borrowers. Less less incredible for investors who are trying to hit targets and are mandated to hit hit levels. But if you're a borrower, you're still having the time of your life in the debt markets. I mean, that must be great for borrowers, Mike. But I remember you've written recently that not all borrowers think this is is quite so fantastic, and some of them have actually called for an end to to QE. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that that's right. There's the issue that some borrowers are facing is similar to what's been seen in in other markets with very high ratings. So it's it's really the only high, highest rated borrowers that are complaining about QE. Um, and it's because there's two factors here. First of all, their cost of debt has got so, their spreads have got so tight at the short end that they're finding it tricky to, to print short-ended debt, um, which just means balancing their maturity profile becomes more difficult and they can't go to the euro market for this stuff which is their natural home market and the other thing is if you're an investment grade borrower um, especially if you're a high triple b single a rated investment grade borrower there's you're not going to go bankrupt you're not going to go insolvent you you know you've got massive bank lines to draw down on um you've got an excellent handle on your leverage you're you're okay so it's these guys that are calling for an end to it because they know that if they have any competitors that are not as well placed as they are, they're probably going to feel the pinch and the end of very cheap, easy money is going to be terrible for competition. You know, the, the competition is going to go under in some cases. So that's that's also driving a call for the end of, end of QE. I get the argument about competition, but I still think there's a there's fundamentally a paradox we're talking about issuers not being able to issue because their spreads are too tight and it, it, isn't it really 
that of course they could issue it's just that they wouldn't get a massive book and that people in the market have got into the habit of looking at the wrong metrics for the success of a deal what matters ultimately is the interest rate cost that the borrower gets away with and the quantity of debt it can raise and you know if there's hot demand for short dated paper leading to spread tight spreads then surely they can issue it yeah they can there is always a, a price to issue anything but the problem with coming to the market with a short dated debt that you then accept to pay um say 15 bits new issue premium just to pull a number out of the air that then reprices your curve at the short end so if the market changes dynamic in six months time or a year time and your short end is still repriced to that level then it's people are taking it as a loss because they are moving the spreads of their short dated debt to a place where they wouldn't need to if they didn't have to issue at that level we're still talking about very low interest rates overall though on, histo on a historical basis i guess this would only matter or would matter more if the overall volume of debt had risen um has that been the case obviously there was a lot of emergency borrowing during the pandemic um do we get a sense that corporate borrowers are concerned about their overall volume of debt or is anyone concerned about their overall volume of debt no I, I, in short no because they're especially not in the investment grade market um there there was a, a sort of wave at the start of the pandemic of um ratings agencies warning of mass downgrades and uh just to hop over to the syndicated loan market lenders were worried that their loan books were going to start moving down the credit rating which would which would add to capital needs uh, to, to put against their loans but that hasn't happened really and um moody's has come out recently and said that the majority of its sector analyses are now on a positive outlook um, and it's because debt is so cheap and easy to get hold of. Um, the the level of issuance is, as I, as I mentioned, is, is way down this year. It was in 2019, somewhere close to 406 billion. Last year, that went up to 500 billion as people panicking and getting as much money as they could get their hands on. Um, and now we are in August and it's at 255 billion, give or take. Um, and these are all from Dealogic. And the, the, the thing with that is that September is expected to be busy, though not as busy as usual. Um, the July that we've just come out of was the quietest since 2016. Um, you know, just incredibly quiet July. And people aren't expecting much for uh, the fourth quarter of the year. So there was a massive spike in debt levels last year as people were just trying to get hold of all the cash they could get their, their mitts on to, to get through. But now that's that's very much leveled out and gone back down again. Um, and this week, Mike, uh, you were reporting on a big Volkswagen deal. Um, it's pretty unusual for that to come um, in early August, isn't it? It is, yeah, the triple tranche. And there is a quad tranche deal for next week that's lined up already. So, yeah, seven tranches um, in the depths of August from two deals is pretty rare. Um, but... Speaking to people, I think it, this is in part, it's a function of the the pandemic. So speaking to um, people in the market on the on the buy side and to syndicate bankers, and there is a feel that um, whereas usually everyone would be on holiday now, putting their feet up, 
people have had to take holiday in much more piecemeal ways because they don't know if they're going to go away and then find out while they're away that they now have to quarantine for 10 days when they're back. So people have taken the chance when they can to go and sit on a beach, which means that people are now, investors are now at their desks. Um, you know, there's a, there's a critical mass of investors who are available to put money in. And you saw that with the VW deal. They got like 7.2 billion of demand at, by the time the deal launched um for a 2.5 billion dollar deal and that's like in the depths of summer when everyone's meant to be putting their feet up and not not worrying about this stuff i mean this is a there was a similar dynamic in the bank funding market this week sorry but which i mean the financial institutions bond market with barclays bringing a, a a ton of deals that typically you might have expected to come in september i suppose that might be a similar dynamic with volkswagen right they these are trades so big that you would normally want to bring them when you're guaranteed the liquidity in September. Yeah, that's it. And and they, they can still get the liquidity now. Um, they're still, and, and a, a function of this is that the amount of money that's come into um, high grade corporate funds is throughout July. Um, I think more weeks than not in July, there was 500 million euros plus going into, into these funds. Um, and there just hasn't been things to buy. So, you know, people people need to put the money somewhere. Well, apart from National Power Grid, but um, people didn't seem to want that. No, so well, much. yeah, I mean, the sterling market has been on a painful decline for the past month or so um, until until very recently, until this week. Um, but yes, yeah, so in, in sterling, the so the Northern Power Grid deal, um, there are two schools of thoughts about what happened there, depending on uh, whether you ask a lead or if you ask almost anyone else, uh, as far as I could tell. So the, the, the leads say that um, they just weren't, the investors weren't at their desks and that was that, you know, people were done for the summer, people were fed up and didn't want to buy anything else and uh, were happy to wait until September. This is partly uh, disproven, I guess, to a degree by the Berkeley Group um, green bond that came a week later, two weeks later, sorry, uh, 400 million trade got, 2.2 billion book at launch. So that would heavily indicate to me that investors are at their desks and willing to put money in. Um, the, the other school of thought with the uh, Northern Power Grid deal uh, is that it, it just started at the wrong place, used the wrong comps. Uh, it's from the Berkshire Hathaway group. So there's, you know, buckets and buckets of comps and securities that you could use. Um, and some investors I spoke to felt that the wrong starting point was used. The, I suppose as well, we should say that um, the sterling market is not, not this seems an obvious point, but it's not the same as the euro market. And what I mean by that is there are fewer investors and some big investors have a, probably an outsized influence on whether a deal is successful or not. Is that for sure? For sure, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's nowhere near as deep as euros. Um, and, and and yeah, and then going going back to this uh, this. Northern Power Grid deal. It was a sub benchmark size deal, which means that some some guys just wouldn't be able to look at it at all because it's not in their mandate to buy deals that are under two hundred and fifty mil. And in the in the weeks leading up to this deal and the days leading up to this deal, you were seeing much much smaller over subscriptions. Um, Metropolitan Housing got like a ten million quid over subscription on a two hundred and fifty million deal. Um, so yeah, so there there are indications that the wheels were coming off a bit in the market anyway and that investors were switching off a little to it 
the Northern Power Grid deal was actually pulled, wasn't it? It, it in fact didn't go ahead. Um, and what's this? What this is making me think is that the sterling market, because of its smaller size and the sort of slightly fussy nature of some of the investors, is is that it's just very sensitive to the flow of deals. So you'd had a, a before that a month or a couple of months of of, of quite intense supply, hadn't you? And um, a lot of borrowers were coming to sterling that perhaps weren't wouldn't always, and. And then maybe investors just just had enough and needed needed to, the pace to slow down. Yeah, that that could definitely be a, a, a fair point. There was a, a two billion week, I think, two weeks before, uh, maybe three weeks before the uh, the Metropolitan Housing Trust came with its with its deal that, that sort of just scraped over the line. Um, so yeah, the sterling market definitely had been filling its boots in in primary issuance. So that that could certainly be part of it for sure. Um, turning back to the uh, the the main event, as it were, the European market and uh, September, where, where does that leave us then for the outlook? It seems like there's still money pouring in. Um, any other issuers bringing big deals will have been probably gladdened to see uh, VWFS this week and whatever it is that's coming next week, because that those will be two more deals they don't have to compete with. Um, how are people feeling about the autumn? Well, I think the the problem that has been existent all year and that will certainly happen in September is that it's a supply issue rather than a demand issue. There's loads of demand, um, but borrowers are just completely full of money. They're just, just even now. Um, I wrote recently about how companies are still working on a reduced base because they, they let staff go or they shut down parts of their like factories or um, uh, cut ties with parts of their supply chain just because they didn't think they would need it or they didn't need didn't need that much volume in in 2020 and in many cases that still hasn't come back there's still massive supply chain issues in manufacturing um, and staffing issues and um, uh, office uh, sorry warehouse space issues and things like that Um, so until corporates start spending in a significant way on capex again and on on growth they're going to have these big piles of money so that's 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 the going to be a big driver, I think, in terms of volume. So, Mike, do you think it's going to be a bit of a quiet end to the year in the corporate bond market? I feel like I am one hundred percent going to be made to look like an idiot by saying this, but yes, I think it's going to be a whimper rather than a bang. I think, although you're right to make that prediction, I think you're also probably right that it that it will be wrong because <laughs> the market in general has always surprised on the upside. But um, we'll wait and see. So thank you to John and Mike for recording the podcast with me and to Gerald Hayes, our editor, for putting it all together. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. It's free and we release a new episode every Friday uh, to all the major platforms. So if you just go onto any of those and search for Global Capital, you should find us. Uh, Don't forget also to leave a five star review for us either. Um, it helps to get the podcast out to others who might enjoy it and pushes us up the ranking so that we can be more easily found. Uh, now, I did say that we normally release a new issue every Friday, uh, but for the next two weeks, the pod is going on its summer holidays, by which I mean the podcast will be stuck at home doing DIY, although it might manage a day out to Margate if it plays its cards right. So instead, we'll see you again on August the 27th. Thanks ever so much for listening in and goodbye. Thank you.